morning, church family. Woo, there's a little bit more awake this morning. Y'all ready to worship with us? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start us off with some scripture here. This is Psalm 28, starting at verse 6. It says, Praise be to the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song I praise him. The Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Amen. Praise the Lord, oh 
cold and the wind and you're here. Go ahead and have a seat for a moment. Um, we are just so excited you have chosen to worship with us today. 
If you are a first-time guest, please check out the visitor center right out there in the main entrance. Just a, we've got a small gift for you and just a way for us to get to know you a little bit better and to welcome you here. And if you first-time guest, been here a long time, doesn't matter. We've got the connection cards in the pew right in front of you. And please take the time to fill those out. It lets us know, uh, just get to know you a little bit better and lets us know how we can be praying for you and what, God's, uh, what you want to see God do in your life. And again, just so much going on here at Westgate. And y'all like the imaginary new model of smartphone I'm holding? It's pretty nice, right? It's legit. Um, there, we also have an awesome app. Just look it up, the Westgate Chapel app. There, it'll, again, tell you everything that's going on here at Westgate and all the ways you can get involved. And we've got a couple things coming up pretty recently that I want to check, that I want you to check out. Just check out our, our brand new big screen here. And that's a, where, where you go? Yeah, check it out. You can see what's going on. Good morning and welcome to Westgate Chapel. We are so glad you chose to worship with us today. My name is Adrienne and I'm on the worship team here at Westgate. Thanks for joining us. Winter's here. Are you looking for something to break the monotony of winter's dark and dreary days? We've got something special for you and your friends and neighbors. Don't miss it. This Friday, 6 to 7.30 p.m. is our night of worship. You're invited as we worship together through song, scripture, and prayer. And we're especially excited that for the first time ever at Westgate, we will be doing a live recording of Westgate original songs and other favorites. Invite your neighbors, your friends, and your families for a night of worship and fellowship. Hey guys, our next Men's Connecting event is coming up soon. Lock in March 23rd, 6 to 9 p.m. on your calendars for a night of food, laughs, and serious fun. We're talking board games, cards, cornhole, hoops, and more. Oh, and we've got the big screens ready for the NCAA March Madness Showdown. Don't miss out on the action. Meet us in the gym on March 23rd from 6 to 9 p.m. It's going to be epic. Once again, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We're glad you are here. Enjoy the service. Yes, I am particularly excited about the night of worship this Friday. How many of y'all are planning on coming to that? Maybe you're, okay, awesome, good number. And then maybe if some of you are on the fence, I'm telling you, it's something you don't want to miss. Bring your kids, bring your families. We're doing, as we said in the video, um, we're doing a bunch of original songs that we've written, and we're introducing a brand new song that we've never heard before, so that we've collaborated on and written together as a team. We love doing that here. And uh, just something we're really excited about. So we're even doing the VBS song from the last couple of years. Um, so kids, you'll have a good time doing it. Yeah, it'll be fun for everyone. Um, for now, like Julie, I think last week told everyone to bless your extroverted neighbor, if I recall correctly. So as an extrovert, I take slight to that. So now I'm saying bless your introverted neighbor. So everybody stand up and, gre and greet one another with that. There you go.
All right, all you extroverts and introverts. <laughs> Will you join me as we continue worshiping uh, this morning? I'm just going to pray for us. God, we thank you so much that you've brought us here to worship together. God, there is something to be said for worshiping in unity, Lord, and um, I pray above everything, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts this morning, even now in this moment. Maybe we didn't come prepared to worship you this morning, but Lord, I pray even now in this moment, just draw us near to you, God. We are here to worship you simply because you are worthy. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Sing it out. Before you 
Be magnified 
front of you, behind you, sing, Christ, be magnified in me. God, would that be so true of us? Thank you for the transformation that you bring um, through fire and through the cross. Oh, God, would you be magnified in our praise? 
our hearts, in our minds, in our souls. We praise you. We thank you for your abundance that you give to us. We thank you as we enter into offering and then in, into the sermon this morning. Uh, God, would the offering of our voices be no different than the offering of our goods and to the offering of our mind as we hear about you and then ultimately respond to you. Thank you for all that you're doing in our church. Uh, thank you that we get to be a part of it. Oh man, you are so good. We praise you. We magnify you in your name. Amen. This morning, if you are in the center aisle, as you take a seat, if you wouldn't mind passing uh, the bucket down uh, as we give this morning's uh, tithes and offerings to the Lord. Good morning. Welcome to Westgate. Glad you're here with us. Glad I'm here with you guys. Be a part of the church. Uh, my name is Steve Fisher. I am the student ministry pastor here working with our high school students. Uh, love being with them. But occasionally I come out of the refinery and the youth rooms and I get to talk to the grown-ups. Um, so here's one of those times. Oh, great. I got an applause. I hope online you could hear that. If you didn't, we'll add it in later. Okay. <laughs> we are, um, we're in week four of our series titled, Why? Trusting God When You Don't Understand. And so um, let me give you a little bit of a recap. If you haven't been here to hopefully catch up to speed, if you have been here, then it's just a reminder of where we've been. So we started week one uh, with Habakkuk, who is a prophet, meaning he speaks on God's behalf, and he is coming at God uh, with a lot of hurt, with a lot of pain. Uh, we had our, our talk on lament that I was able to give, and the idea of you can go to God with that which is deep, which is, uh, which is hard, uh, he can take it. He is not someone you have to be like careful with. He, you're allowed to come to him and tell him how you're feeling. And so Habakkuk does this because how he's feeling is, God, you aren't doing anything. Look around. You're not seeing what is happening and, and as he says this to God, God responds. And Pastor Rob, in the last two weeks, was God res, God's response was, I am going to do something. I'm going to bring the nation of Babylon to come and punish the wickedness that's going on in Israel. And Habakkuk's like, like, time out, wait. Like, they're worse than us. They're terrible. Like, what are you going to do with them? And we have Habakkuk then last week kind of waiting to hear back from God. Do you remember how it, Pastor Rob concluded that he's, he's like up on the tower? 
He's waiting to hear, God, what's your response to these questions? And so that's where we're going to pick up. Uh, last time I did four verses. This time I have about five times as many. So I'm going to talk five times as fast. So let's go. Habakkuk 2, you can open your Bibles, check it out on the screen. We're going to take just chunks of it and then we'll talk about it for a little bit and we'll just work our way through. So the Lord replies, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that the herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. This response from God is interesting on a couple of levels. One of them, do you remember, Habakkuk is a little different than most of the other prophets that we get in the Old Testament in that most of the time God is speaking to the prophet, then the prophet speaks to the people. Habakkuk, we, we get insight into this like back and forth dialogue that's going on. But now God's response, this revelation, this revealing of what's to come, he goes, this, I want you to write it down. I want you to write it down. I share a lot of stories about my grocery shopping adventures. I spend a lot of time there. I meet a lot of you there. Uh, airport, highway, Kroger's, if you want to come to the party, it's great. But here's what happens. This happened this literally just two days ago. My wife, uh, I do most of the grocery shopping. I know most of the things we need. But occasionally, she's, I'll tell her, hey, I'm going to the grocery store. And she's like, oh... You need to get these things. Remember to get these things. Um, we need some sour cream. We need laundry detergent. We need apples. And don't buy milk. We have plenty of milk. And, and I'll be like, yep, yep, yep. She's like, you got it? I'm like, yep. I get to the store. And I was listening. But when I get to the store, it's like, ah, soap. Dish soap, cream, ice cream, something from the produce aisle, avocados. She loves avocados. Oh, it's milk. I got to remember milk. We have no milk. I, this, I, this is not an exit. This is true. So then what she tells me, she goes, what, now it's like, she'll tell me those things. And she goes, she waits a second, which kind of watches me and then goes, do you need to write these down? Because I'm going to forget I'm well-intended. I'm trying to remember. Now she just says, I'm going to text you these things. Sometimes I still forget. But there's a problem in that from the point that I heard what was needed, um, some time passes, and then I just forget. Have you had this happen to you? I think this is a good example of as God is talking to Habakkuk about this revelation to come, what I'm going to reveal what's going to happen. I'm not lying. It's going to happen, but there's going to be some time that it takes. We see in Jeremiah, another prophet, he says this, he says, the whole land shall become a ruined and a waste. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So we know that there's going to be some time. And so God says, hey, this is, I want you to write this down. That the herald can run with it so that people can read it. In fact, we are now reading it right now thousands of years later. 
I think the other issue that I see in this as I'm reading it, and I read the end of, of verse 3, and it says, though it linger, wait for it, it will certainly come and will not delay. This is very confusing to me. It's going to linger, but it's not going to delay. Let me give you another maybe example to help work through maybe what this means. Um, have you ever been invited over for dinner? Maybe friends from church or friends from work or the neighbor, and they say, hey, you guys want to come over for dinner? And you're like, sure. I mean, normally I want to know what they're making, but yes, I'm going to come over. What time should we come over? And they'll say like, oh, come over at 5.30. In my mind, here's what this means. 5.30, I'm coming over. I don't expect dinner to be on the, on the table. But shortly after, if you said, hey, 5.30, dinner is going to be served. But here's sometimes what happens. You go, you walk in the door at 5.30. There's no like aroma in the air from the roast. There's no sizzling on the stove. And like they're just putting the stuff in the oven. You're like, it's going to be like three hours till we eat. I mean, what, what is, like, it's going to take so long. This is very different than if you get invited by a friend and they say this. Hey, do you want to come over for dinner? Sure. Why don't you come over at around 5.30? We'll eat at 7. Okay, that all of a sudden sets, sets the stage that, hey, you're coming over. We're hanging out. We're doing whatever. And then dinner is going to be at 7. And so when dinner gets served at 7, it's not late because that was the planned time. Can I show you a different version of um, the Christian Standard Bible, how they uh, translate this verse in 2-3. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. This goes to describe that, hey, God has timing he knows what's happening. It's going to feel like it's slow. It's delayed. It's tarried. It's not late. It's right where I want it. It's going to happen. This reminds me of one of my favorite verses found in the New Testament. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I love that verse because I think of like, God, what are you doing in our world? It seems like you are so slow, you're late, you're behind schedule, but he says, nope, nope, I'm in control. It's right where I want it. It might seem slow, it might seem delayed, it's not. I have a bigger plan and the plan is I want as many people as possible to come to repentance. It's another passage that he goes, right, I want everyone to come to the knowledge of the truth. I don't want anyone to perish. It says it in the Old Testament. It says, turn and live. I do not take delight in people that turn away from me, that perish. I want to see all saved. But this takes time. And he has set that time up. And so he says to Habakkuk, write it down. 
might feel like it's delayed. It's not. I want you to remember this. It's not going to be late. So here's what he starts with, what he writes down. See, the enemy is puffed up, verse 4. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is greedy as the grave. And like death is never satisfied, he gathers to himself all the nations and takes captives all the people. We actually get two depictions of two different types of people. One is this person, which is the Babylonians who are puffed up. They are prideful. Their desires are not upright, not straight, not smooth, but they are jagged. They are arrogant, never at rest. Their greed is is like the grave, meaning the grave is wide and deep. The grave is never satisfied. He says, this is the type of people that this is what they are. This is what they are like. But he gives this one line That's actually then quoted in our New Testament over and over that the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. This doesn't just mean, sometimes the translation, uh, the righteous will live by faith. um, But faith sometimes has this, at least for me, maybe because you guys are smarter than me, but faith, I often think of this intellectual thing, this like, oh, I believe, I have this knowledge of God. But what's being conveyed there is much more than that. It is this life. It is a lifestyle that is going, I have trust. I rely on God and his word, and I follow this. It is not just this knowledge. It is also this obedience, this following after. And so I like that faithfulness feels more active than just just faith. It is what then gets quoted in Hebrews, in Romans, uh, that the righteous shall live by faith. As we get into the next passage, he gives these five woes, these five kind of condemnations of the people, what they're going to be held responsible for. And just one insight I, I want you to think about is remember that the Babylonians are not the Israelites. They are not the chosen people of God. They have not been given uh, this specific revelation from God. They have not been given the Ten Commandments. They have not been given Scripture, and yet... God is going to hold them responsible for their actions. Think about that for a second. He is going to hold them responsible for certain things. And it reminds me of in Romans 1, where it says that no one has an excuse because God can be plainly seen. This is then when he starts to condemn and hold them uh, in judgment for these crimes. It's because these things you should know. Sometimes we talk about this moral law that all humans know that, hey, there is something that I should not do that is wrong, that is not right. It is self-evident. I think of actually, I just popped into my head the Declaration, right, of Independence. What does it say? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. 
And so when we abuse or mistreat others, we are denying that which is self-evident. It is a front to humanity, to creation, which means it's an affront to the creator, to God. And he holds them responsible. So, woe number one. Verse six. Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. Because you have plundered many nations, the people who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. The Babylonians are known as one of the wealthiest civilizations in the ancient world. Uh, they were famous for their fortune. And, and how did they go about getting their wealth, their possessions? They st- stole them. They took over nations and peoples and took all of this. We, we read about this in, in Daniel. Remember, the king comes in and he takes all of, all of the gold, all of the stuff, and he goes and he sets it in his temples to his gods. And we see this over and over that the Babylonians come and they steal, they extort, they take because their greed is like the grave. It's never full enough. And so as God talks about this, he sees what is going on. He makes this statement that you will not your creditors suddenly arise. Will they wake up and make you tremble? This idea that you, you owe these people something because you have stole for them. They're coming back to take it. You are held responsible for what you have seized. God sees this. This reminds me of Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. When you have sowed evil and theft, you are going to get that in return. Second woe, 9 through 11. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to you who build your house by unjust gains. First woe is this idea of like amassing wealth. This second woe now is the way that you build your home, this house that you build, your kind of little personal kingdom. And you have done this unjustly. It says like you, it's this idea of of a nest being set up high like birds will do, right? So that doesn't matter what's going on underneath them, that you have set yourself up high, but everything beneath you is in ruins. And so it says that this is going to come back to you, that this will ultimately destroy you. We then get this, if the stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. This reminds me of the statement that we have, if these walls could talk. Do you, you know what I'm talking about? If these walls could talk, maybe it's in a, in, in a room. It's this idea of there was maybe secrets in this room. We think of 
maybe battle plan somewhere and, oh, if these walls could talk, we, we would know. Or maybe it's time that's passed and you go and visit kind of this ancient, you know, building and you're like, oh, if the walls could talk, what they would say. And so as, as God is revealing the, the wickedness of Babylon, he's saying, even the walls, the stones, the beams, they're going to say, because they've seen what has happened. This actually reminds me, there's another passage in scripture um, that this kind of same idea happens. It's inverted though. It's for the positive. Do you remember when Jesus, we're almost on Easter here coming up. Remember when Jesus uh, sends out his disciples, they go get the colt, uh, right? Because the Lord needs it. And then they start riding down the Mount of Olives and then into the city of Jerusalem. And as they're going down, it says that this in Luke chapter 19, that the kind of all of his disciples are with them. And they start saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. So his disciples are praising him as king. And whether the Pharisees are afraid that we don't want to call him king because maybe uh, that will make the Romans mad. Whether this is a theological issue that they're having that you are calling him king, that you're praising him as, as if you're praising God, that you shouldn't do that. Either way, their response to their praise of Jesus is, hey, you need to shut these guys up. Tell them to be quiet. And here is Jesus's response. He says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Think about this for a second. He is saying that if humanity, if humans, if my disciples can't recognize and, and are shut up for any reason about the glory of me as king, then even the stones are going to go and praise me. The opposite then is what we see in Habakkuk, that even if, if you think everyone is quiet about your wickedness and treachery, the stones are going to cry out against you. Really fascinating to me. And here's kind of what I wrote about that. I said both, there are times when the truth of God and, and the world he created is going to be said, both in praise to Jesus, the king, and in condemnation for those who have tried to become king themselves. If humans won't say it, then sticks and stones will. Mm. Woe three, 12 through 14. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the seas. Okay, we're, we're kind of, we're growing in these woes from first kind of this personal amassing of wealth to kind of my own home, my own kind of area to now the city, the town, the nation, the empire. We're getting larger and larger. And after each one, the way that you're going about this, you are going to be held responsible because you are building your, your cities with 
bloodshed. You are establishing your towns with injustice. And he says, don't you understand that all of this is for nothing? It's in vain. It's going to burn. I used to work at a camp called Camp Cascatoa. It was up in Michigan. It was an all-boys camp, you know, rough and tumble, shooting guns and building fires, big fires. And my job my first year when I was a counselor was to build uh, the Friday night uh, fire. Uh, It was kind of this bowl uh, type uh, area where there was just like logs sitting on the ground that the boys would sit on. Then there's this big fire down below and the counselors would, you know, run the songs and do skits and then there would always be some sort of Bible teaching there. And so someone always had to build the fire and kind of the newbie would get tasked with having to build the fire. And at first I loved it. And I would start going, getting all the sticks and you're starting to build your teepee a little, little bigger, bigger. And you're trying to keep a hole because pretty soon, like you're taking like trees and and lining them up. And you have to be able to have a hole so you can reach your hand all the way in there because the goal was always one match. One match, right? Very, that's very like Boy Scout type thing, like one match. So we'd reach in and you'd light it. And all then the boys that were there would all be chanting, burn, fire, burn, burn, fire, burn, right? And then it would start to get bigger and bigger. It would catch and the whole thing would be ablaze. If you were trying to do the songs or the skit, like your back is just burning depending on how big it is. And the first couple of times I loved kind of setting that up. But pretty soon I realized, like, all of that work is gone in, like, 30 minutes. It's just dust and ash, right? It, and the better I build it, actually, the bigger I build it, the quicker it burns. And so it's like, we, I would start doing that at the end of the summer. I'm like, this is, I'm just building a fire. It's all going to burn. Like, all this work, it's going to be gone. And maybe that's okay when you... Your work is to build the fire. But the condemnation against Babylon is that you are building this great thing. You are building your empire that you think is so amazing. And the bigger you build it, the more labor you put into it, you don't realize it's going to be gone. You're amassing wealth and treasures, but the way you're doing that, bloodshed and wickedness, that then I am going to come and judge this. And I'm going to judge it with fire. In Jeremiah 51, 58, it says this, The Lord of hosts, the broad wall of Babylon, shall be leveled to the ground, and her high gate shall be burned with fire. The peoples labor for nothing, and the nations weary themselves only for fire. And we know in history that Babylon eventually is destroyed. That it is lit on fire. Everything that they thought they had, their great kingdom came down to dust and ashes. Just reminds me of what said, what good is it to gain the world and lose your soul? Number four, um, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from his wineskin till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it's your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. 
The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed human blood, you've destroyed lands and cities and everyone in there. I want to say first that as you read that, you're like, boy, that felt maybe graphic. Maybe like, couldn't, couldn't we get through all of these woes? Couldn't you just kind of compress them? Give me the spark notes. Give me just the God is going to punish the wicked. But I think this is, this is very uh, specific. Um, he, he goes by each point because remember that Habakkuk's complaint to God was what? You don't see. It's our complaint to God when there's evil all around us. Don't you see what's going on? And so God then in response says what? Let me show you all of the things I see. I see it. I'm going to describe it to you. And I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. As we read that, that fourth woe, uh, I often, like right to my mind is like spiked drinks and date rape. But that's really, I would say, not what's being talked about. What is being talked about is the conquest that Babylon, Babylon goes on and, and how they then take over the cities and the empires, the other nations. And often that is through power and might, but then through uh, sexual abuse. They would take kings and leaders and strip them of their clothes and parade them around in front of the army to humiliate them. There was typically rape of women and children as they came and took over, as they conquested over the land. This then goes, if you wonder in then he kind of jumps into Lebanon that you have pillaged and raped not only people, but you have also done it to the land. Lebanon is in the north, is this hilly country uh, that has tons of natural resources with their giant trees. Uh, in history, you can read about the Assyrians and the Babylonians. They were proud when they could take Lebanon. It was this big achievement. And so they would talk about how we've taken the land, how we've chopped down the trees and hunted the animals. It's the same way that they have pillaged humans that they are now doing to the land and God holds them responsible. And look what he says. He says that you are going to drink from the cup of the Lord's right hand and disgrace will cover your glory. This idea of the cup of, of God's right hand is we see this in Jeremiah. We see this in Isaiah. Uh, that's sometimes called the cup of God's wrath or his anger or his vengeance. Uh, this is typically speaking about judgment that is held for those that have been wicked, for those that have been involved in evil, and you are going to have to drink this as repayment for what you've done. This has been stored up for you because of your actions. In Revelations, we actually see that at the very end, if you remember this, I think it's 14 and 16, it's mentioned two other times that this cup of wrath is going to be poured out on the nations. It's the final judgment that God sees what's going on and justice will happen. They will be hold, held responsible. Last one, fifth saying. 
of what value is an idol carved by craftsmen or an image that teaches lies. For the one who makes it trust in his own creation, he makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life or to the lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver, but there is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let the earth be silent before him. The last four, um, if you notice, they, they were kind of bookended, and I, I didn't mention it, but with this idea that at the end of four, at the end of one, they say the same thing. For you have shed human blood, you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. And so this is kind of the, the, the issues of, of your actions. But now we turn to this issue of, of, I would say, your heart, of the true motivation, that what is at the center? Why do you do what you are doing? And here it is. It's because of who you are worshiping. You are worshiping really yourself. For the one who makes this idol trust in his own creation, instead of trust, instead of faith in God, like we talk about the righteous shall live by faith, by faithfulness on reliance to him. Instead, the wicked are making their own gods. They are creating things that is glorifying self and then striving after this. And these things are worthless. They have nothing to them. They don't have breath. The same word for spirit. They, there is no spirit in them. And so all you're doing is you're glorifying, exalting, magnifying yourself. And any means necessary. And God sees it. And he's going to judge it. We can read this and very quickly, I think, be like, yeah, God, get them. Right? Like when other people are wicked or evil, when there are atrocities in our world, we want justice. But my encouragement is we have to be careful that Israel is being punished the same way that Babylon is going to be because they were doing the same things. The reason Babylon was there in the first place is because what were they doing? All of the stuff that God is condemning, all of the stuff of serving other gods, of atrocities against humans, they are participating in this, and so God holds them responsible because they are no longer living by faith. They are putting their faith in something else. They are putting it in themselves. As I thought about this, I said, you know, the application for me, uh, for you, you know, art. Our jobs can't save us. We put our trust in our jobs, it's going to fail. Our education can't save us. Our beautiful new home, our car, our 401k, our bank account. Like when we put our faith and trust in that, it's going to fail. And in fact, then we are going to be so motivated for those things, it's going to pull us away from what we should be centered on God. And centered on him. And so I hope as you hear that, you just don't go, that's for someone else. No, that's for me and that's for you. That God holds us responsible for our actions. Closing, I got three thoughts for you. One, when we see injustice, when we see evil, atrocity in our world, God cares. 
God cares. I think maybe some of you need to hear that. Like the pain, the suffering, the evil of others that have been done maybe to you that you have seen, God cares. He sees it. He's going to do something about it. It might feel very slow, but it is not lost. It is not late. He sees it. Second, again, we need to be careful about thinking that this is just for others because the fact is that I have done evil. I have participated in wickedness. I have been selfish and greedy and arrogant. And I am deserving of the cup of wrath that can be poured out on me, that I would have to drink and suffer all of the consequences of my action. But here is is then the powerful truth that Jesus comes to drink the cup of wrath for us. He comes to drink it so you don't have to. Matthew 26, 39, as Jesus is praying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus comes and he drinks the cup of wrath that we deserve for our actions, for our sin. And it is a, there's a lot. And he takes it, he drinks it, he becomes sin for us. Even though he knew no sin, he bears that on the cross. And because then when we have faith, when we have trust, when we have reliance on him, we are then offered a new cup. You're offered the cup of the new covenant, the forgiveness of sins, a covenant of grace. And so as you're here this morning, uh, if you are a believer, know that why you should deserve the cup of wrath, when you put your faith in him, you are declared righteous. You get to drink of the cup of the new covenant. If you haven't put your faith yet in him, man, it is as simple, guys, as saying, I have faith, I'm gonna, I have faith, I'm gonna rely on you that what you said is true. That though I have participated in all of this wickedness, that I can be still declared righteous in your sight. Let's pray. God, uh, I thank you that um, you offer me a new cup. As a church, we thank you uh, for your grace. As we read uh, this passage, uh, that we know we, without you we're no different than the Babylonians. But we do thank you that you, for those that want it, for those that believe, that you give us this new cup of forgiveness and grace. We thank you that you do see our world and what's going on and and there will be justice in the end. And so we put our hope and we put our faith in your word, in your name, amen.
Oh, what a fitting song to end. The encouragement to build our life on a firm foundation, to put our trust and faith in Jesus alone. Can I encourage you uh, with two verses uh, from the book of Romans? In 116, it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. God, we, uh, we want to be people who live by faith. Uh, we pray that your spirit uh, would help us. Um, we thank you for uh, your cross, your death and resurrection, uh, our faith and trust in that, um, your forgiveness of sins, the grace you extend. Uh, as, we, as we leave, I, uh, God, we'd be reassured you see what's going on and you've made a way for all of us in your name amen if you need prayer this morning our prayer teams are up here on the left and right uh, they would love to pray with you otherwise we will see you next week have a great sunday